Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. I'm excited today because I'm always excited about the gospel. I'm sure you guys know that. <laughs> but there's, there's something that's been tugging on my spirit. Every time I get ready to preach, I get like antsy within me. And, and it's like nerves, but not nerves. It's like I have a lot within me, but I'm like, am I going to pour all that out? Or do you just want someone to get a few? Because I don't want to pour me out. And, and I was talking to some friends and just throwing hints here and there. And, and the Spirit of God just gave me peace the whole afternoon. It's like, I got you. And I feel like that's a word for someone in this room as well. Spirit of God got you. I was, I was praying with someone after service. They said that their family was pretty much in line with the pastor's message this morning. Their, one of their sons and, and their sibling just stay isolated in a room. And they don't want to see people. They don't want to interact with people. Like she said that one of his kids has been in this room a whole year. No interaction with people. Sometimes when you hear a message, you try to get a picture of it. And not too long ago, we had a lady come to our office and say, man, there was like a, a sudden demonic position, spirit working in, in a son of a friend that he knew, but the characteristics are the same where this son felt the only way to come out of his room was to commit suicide. So to keep him, he just wanted to stay isolated in his room. And I was like, Holy Spirit, why is the devil coming after the family? Why, why the young generation? You know, my dad always said this that their generation and the generations before them were known because they fasted, they prayed, they studied the word of God. They were in prayer. And our generation, when we speak those, that language, it's like, are you sure the grace of God will cover me? I don't have to pray like daddy prayed. The peace, I got, I got grace. God loves me. And what we want to be known for is, you see, you see how God loves me? I have a house. You see how God loves me? I'm married. You see how God loves me? I finished college. You see how God loves me? I got a PhD. That everything that we pride ourselves in, Paul equivalents it equates it to, sorry to use this word, poop. And that's what I'm going to be digging in tonight. Before I really jump in, are there any families you feel like what I was just describing, David? I'm going through that in some way. And if you're in this room, would you stand up? If you're online, there'll be people to pray with you as well. But you feel like, David, my family needs a touch of God. Now, I'm a parent. I don't know what what I can do next, but this has gone on for so long in my family. 
in my home. Thank you for standing up. Thank you for standing up. If you don't mind, would you stretch your hands to whoever is, is, is next to you? Prayer team elders, if you're here, would you lay hands to somebody who is, who is standing up? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you're the God that gives wisdom. You're the God that gives peace that surpasses all understanding. And you're the God that gave us the gospel, that through the ministry of the gospel, that many will come to the knowledge of your true son, the light of all glory, who emptied himself of all the glories of heaven and fell in love with frail humanity. Lord, I thank you for this, your family, the core and the centerpiece of your family. Lord, I thank you that this is your house. Lord, and we cancel every attack of the enemy right now Every spirit of infamity, spirit of witchcraft, spirit of death, spirit of anxiety, depression, in the mighty name of Jesus, we declare you destroyed and overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That these parents, these children are freed and they shall know you in the power of your resurrection, Lord, and in the fellowship with you that they will grow in the true knowledge of you. Even as we pray right now, those online, those in their homes, those that are waiting for their kids to come back to the true knowledge of you, Lord, I pray that their hearts are stirred up. I thank you for divine appointments. Lord, I thank you for appointments that are not even planned by no man, but words. Just like you're meeting with the Muslims in Egypt and all over the Middle East, I pray for divine appointments for those in secluded places, Lord. And tonight, we want to hear testimonies, Father God, of people coming out. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. All right, if you don't mind, turn your Bibles to Luke 19. Luke 19, verses 45 and 47. I'm going to try to stick on the notes today. <laughs> Lord, amen. This is a test. <laughs> Only a test. It says... Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of, of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything, for the people were very attentive to him. I want to flip this verse a little bit, and this is not because of me. I feel like Jesus was already teaching in the temple before this. Just remember in, in Jerusalem, there was only one temple. There were several synagogues, but one temple. So he arrived at the temple one evening, apart from when he was teaching. I want you to catch something I'm trying to say here. Jesus was teaching at the temple before this time. And the next time he showed up at the temple, they were selling and exchanging things at the hour of prayer. Which makes me believe that whatever he had taught went in one ear and came out the other. That when he shows up 
at the hour of prayer. Instead, he finds a marketplace. Instead, he finds, man, this is supposed to be a a representation of my father's love and work in mankind. But now it has become a place where they use what he has given for their own benefit. A place where their needs have outgrown their faith in God. So they decided the best way to meet their needs was to maximize what what God has made available for them. I'm going to market it. I'm going to sell it. They they didn't even mind that this was their place at the time representing a place of meeting with God. That went out the door. And here they are at a place of meeting with God, deciding maybe it's best that we use this platform to market the things that God has blessed us with. Because we have needs. I truly believe that's what drives Jesus mad. That's what gets him angry. And he says in that line, my house is a house of prayer. He says, my house is a house of prayer. He's declaring that a place where you meet with my father is supposed to be a place of prayer. He's saying that if you want to meet with the full purpose in the temple, which is to meet with God, prayer is the key. He's teaching a major principle here. Because prayer was not happening, so he went into teaching mode. And after he taught, (laughs) flipped the tables over. (laughs) Or maybe he flipped the tables over and started to teach. Whichever way you look at it, this was a common place for him to come and have fellowship with the Father. This is a place they had assigned for an hour of prayer. And now here we are, it's a marketplace. I'm talking about this because the ministry of the gospel doesn't need people who think they are leaders. But people who know they are servants. The leaders of the day and time thought they are the leaders. I know scripture. I, have, I know everything that I have. And I'm going to teach everybody else what to do so they can meet God. And the picture that I'm picking up here is what they were teaching about how to receive from God versus how the people were responding about how to receive from God was totally off from what Jesus was trying to demonstrate in that house. I'll say this again. The ministry of the gospel doesn't need people who think, emphasis, think, that they are leaders, but people who know that they are servants. Because if you know you're a servant, you know it's not yours in the first place. You have been entrusted with something from God, and a true leader who has been entrusted with something from God knows it's not mine, it's for me to serve. 
And if you keep reading through the Gospels, most, most times the Pharisees separated themselves from everybody else, the publicans, the sinners, because why? They thought themselves holy, closer with God. And then the intent of their leadership <laughs> is what Jesus is dealing with here. That if you want to serve the people, you have to serve God. And if you're going to serve God, you have to trust God. And if you're going to trust God, you have to teach prayer as the source, as the foundation for fellowship with the Father. I'll keep going here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, it says, Coming unto him as to a living stone rejected in, indeed by man, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as, as living stones, being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's something I wanted to emphasize here. <laughs> Come into him as the living stone. If you want to highlight that, you can. And then in verse five it says, you as a living stone. It's comparing you to Jesus. That's who they're talk, talking about here. Rejected by men, but precious and chosen by God. So the moment it says you, like living stones, is saying that you are chosen and you are precious to God. Say that with me. I'm chosen, I'm chosen. and I'm precious to God. And then he goes on to say, are being built. You see, one thing that I see throughout the Bible is God wants to reveal himself to the world. So he revealed Jesus to us. Here's what I mean by this. When God saw that we could not reach him, he chose to reveal a man so that we could see him. Say that again, because I love that statement. Maybe it's just, just for me. God saw that we could not reach him. So in all of his wisdom, in all of his knowledge, he chose to bring a man into the world. So God revealed a man so that the man could reveal him. Church, we have an assignment. God revealed the church to the world so the church could reveal God to the world. He didn't choose a dog. He, he, didn't, he didn't choose a lion. He didn't choose a zebra. He chose you and I. He's like, the best way I want to reveal myself in this world, it's through you and I. But through you and I, the world may come to know him. If there's a picture of love, there's none greater than that. When you look at, the, at, at how lost humanity was, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Sin bound, death bound, destruction bound, 
I mean, sickness bound, darkness bound, mind seared. Everything that we possessed was leading to destruction. And here is God saying, they're mine. Here's my plan. I'm going to reveal a man to them. I'm going to reveal someone who is built just like them. So he can reveal me to them. I meditated on on that for a long time. And here's what he's going to do. He says, not just a spiritual house. At this moment, Jesus is the spiritual house. And what were some of the spiritual sacrifices that Jesus was doing? He was praying. He was, he was faithful. He was giving. He was preaching salvation. Studying scripture. Giving of himself. Spiritual sacrifices. He's setting himself on the scene. Sometimes the disciples saw him pray, and they were like, Master, would you teach us how to pray like you pray? They saw him cast out devils, and they wanted to cast out devils too. They saw him heal. They wanted to heal too. But you see, just like in Luke 19, there were people who desired what Jesus was doing, but they did not understand the responsibility of being a spiritual house. There were people that cast out devils, healed the sick, raised the dead. Jesus says, and when they come to me, I'll say, Get away from me, I never knew you. When you go to Africa today, we market <laughs> the same sign that has a revival meeting on it. On the opposite side, there's this, it says a witch doctor can do the same. So the competition is not power. The competition is not wealth because some of the richest people in the world are not believers. The competition is not, how many PhDs do I have? People who don't know Jesus have that. Ask yourself this, what does the world want right now that God wants to reveal to it? That's priceless. And that's the mission he's given you and I as the church. So in, in, in my best understanding of this, as I'm still growing in it, because it humbles me every single moment I talk about it. Why? Because the spiritual house he's talking about here is it's being built. So when man was in, was in, in, in the garden, God formed him into, into a living soul, and when the enemy came, he took that identity away from the man. The man started to seek God in order to find God. And so everything that was built up was destroyed. And now Jesus comes and says, let me show you what was intended in the beginning. Let me show you what was intended when God had his mission right in his hand. And so when he showed up, the, the gospel was the person, and the person was the gospel. You see, when people looked at Jesus, they said, listen to him. 
He carries words of wisdom. He carries words of knowledge. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 22. In whom you also are built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. I have it in here as a habitation of God's spirit in which his glory dwells and his power and grace are manifest. In other words, God built you and I so his glory and power to be made manifest. Sounds so simple. But he has to go back now according to Pastor Peter, begin to take apart every thought that held you captive, every idea that held you captive, every spirit that held you captive, every, every, every economy that held you captive, every, every, every form of witchcraft that held you captive. <laughs> you see, when you're building a new, when you're renovating a house, you don't make it smaller, do you? If someone came and renovated your house and made it smaller, would you call it renovation? I had four bedrooms, now I have one great renovation. The fact that Jesus is giving us, Paul is giving us this implication of taking apart brick by brick, hand by hand. He's saying, there are some things that have been laid on top of the other incorrectly. There are some things you have believed for so long, but because of the love of God, he's willing to take brick by brick apart. Only to put it back together better with the intention it was created for. You see, there are people in the word of God that saw this a long time ago. One of the people that amazes me a lot, his name is Simeon. He's in Luke chapter, tw- Luke chapter two, verses 25. It says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was, was Simeon. And this man was just devout and waiting for consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and, he had been re- and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Here's what I'm trying to tell you here. <laughs> Mary was not the only person who conceived of the word of God. There were people before Mary that conceived the word. And what did they do? They went to prayer. Let me say that again. God wanted to do something for you and I. And his idea to get it done, this is a God idea, all-powerful, almighty God, all-knowing. He had to send the word yes prior to a person who could believe the word and commit it to prayer to see it happen in the world. And it wasn't just this, it wasn't just this man. If you, if you read in verses 36 of the same chapter, it says, now there was Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of that name in the tribe of Asher. She too was of great age and lived with her husband, and committed her life, I'm skipping, in the temple with fastings and prayings. Now let me ask you this. Why would the king of kings, the creator of heaven and earth, have to make an appointment with a person 
and give him a prayer responsibility when he's about to bring the solution of his son into the world. He's an example of two people who received the word before Mary. And whether they understood it or didn't understand it, they committed it to prayer. I can't imagine if, if it's some of us who have to carry something because God wants to do it and you're waiting. Year one, year two, year three, year four. The only thing that can help you carry that is the love of God. The only thing that can help you carry something that you can't see but yet believe it deep within you is knowing that I have a fellowship with the Father that nobody else understands but myself. And there's sometimes when you can't preach it, you can't say it, but you believe it. Sometimes you can't convince anybody about it. These two people mentioned in, in the book of Luke, Luke, they just went to the church and to the temple, and all they did was commit their life to prayer. In the book of Isaiah, it says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This jumped out in an amazing way to me the other day. Isaiah is saying, a child is born, process, a son is given, miraculous. Unto us, a child is born, but a son is given. What did Mary conceive? Mary conceived the word of God. And that means the child is the body. The son is the spirit. Because the spirit, of, the spirit has no beginning. So the child is the body, the son is the spirit. It's a very same picture of heaven and earth becoming one. The very same thing that happened in Genesis 1:26 when God breathed himself into the man to become a living soul. The intention for you and I, as the, most of the epistles are being revealed, is Paul is constantly saying that you are with Christ. You are Christ's. Christ is in you. Let this mind be in you. This mind was also in Christ. Something about us begins to change when we become Christian. Something about us begins to change because there's a person who loved us. Well, we were yet still sinners. And he came up with a plan and says, they're in the wrong position. They're functioning in a way I didn't create them to function. Because most of the time, what we react to is just because we wait for our sense knowledge to capture what is trying to be said. So the, the world speaks to us louder than the Father speaks to us. Can I say that again? The world around us speaks to us louder than the Father speaks to us. 
David, this sickness in my body. Oh, I'm going to die. The doctor gave me six months. And the teachers, everything at school is completely upside down. My kids are in trouble. My family can't be redeemed. That we begin to let the message of the world begin to feed us the information. And when it takes a little bit longer and longer, it's until you get to the moment where you stand totally convinced that my God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above, over what I can think or do. In other words, Mary carried the house, but God gave the Son the Spirit. In other words, there are things in your own life that in the spirit, they're mature. They've already been given to you. You already have them. Christ died on the cross for your healing, for your salvation. And the whole package for your newness in Christ is finished. But some of us have got to be like Mary now. Now, Lord, now that I have it in the spirit, and even Jesus says, I will overshadow you with my spirit, Romans 6, Romans 8. My spirit will be praying prayers you can't even utter. I'm going to be present. That's the same thing as saying when when the angel told Mary, and the spirit of God will overshadow you. So the very same thing that was available for Mary is available for you and I. But that baby didn't come in a month. There was a physical process. There was a moment for this mission to get fulfilled. There was a time that it needed to take. And that you and I now walk in that, in the victory that what you received, you and I have a role to manifest in our life. Why? Because God wants you to reveal him to the world. Say this with me. I have an assignment to reveal God to the world. To reveal Christ to the world. I want to say this in in Philippians 2, 5 to 8. It says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of bond seven and coming in likeness of man and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. You see, in the beginning when God made man, he created he created first his nature and then his character. And then he breathed his, his breath into him so that he could have God thoughts, have a, have a God complex in him. And then he gave him a mission to dominate over the, the earth, to, cal- to cultivate it, to keep it. In other words, you and I, our assignment was to reveal God's kingdom into the world. Whatever anointing, whatever spirit is attached to revealing God's kingdom has already been wired into us. I'm going to jump to something here at the end of my notes. I'm going to skip the middle part because I like this part here. I feel like if I miss this, 
it's going to be big on my heart. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5, it says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit, in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So Paul is saying, this is not what we just said. No. <laughs> but this came in power. You may think that that power is, is miracles, signs, and wonders. If you notice something in all the epistles, is, it's very rare to find Paul writing about eyes opening or ears opening. It's almost not easy to find it. But he keeps still referencing the power of God, the demonstration of the power of God. And what that word really means is the power that's residing or something that is by virtue of its nature. In other words, power residing in something by virtue of its nature. In other words, the gospel of God is the power. Everything that's been wired in the gospel of God He's been wired powerfully to be able to demonstrate the spirit behind the gospel. And so when we walk and declare this thing, really the motivation of the gospel defines its origin. It's a word from God through Jesus Christ that's being just demonstrated to us. Everything I do, I see the Father do. Everything I speak, I see the Father speak. He demonstrated what he saw the Father do by doing exactly what the Father did. That's how the gospel got to us. He died on the cross, he rose again, and now we have that same victory whenever he says, now go into the nations, go house to house, go preach, teach, heal the sick, raise the dead, freely you have been given, freely give. He's appointing you now with the responsibility to carry the kingdom of God. I remember the first time when, my dad had just planted the church in the village. And he came in with this verse, the kingdom of God, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And people were not getting what it was. But there was a witch doctor who really was catching what was going on. And he knew if this thing continued, his business was going to go down. And so the, it, it, it was a grass church. They had built it with grass. The building had just wood pillars. Uh, everything was wood around it. So one Sunday morning, we showed up this little swampy area, and the whole thing was on fire. It wasn't a church of even 100 people yet. It was about maybe 25 at best. It was a church plant. We still had drums, those skin drums, and you had to play for people to come. But the devil was so afraid that this was going to short-circuit his mission in that village. And I remember I'd never seen a pastor so angry in my whole life because the, the men in the church had come together to build this stick makeshift roof and something. And to walk up Sunday morning and find the thing in flames in front of you, what do you tell the people that have just come to fellowship with God? And I remember, remember this so vividly. And then it says, whoever did this, you're going to see a demonstration of the power of God in your house today. Mm 
And if you don't give your life to Jesus, you don't have time because you just touched the apple of God's eye. And then he said this too. I remember this vividly because we were the ones saying, is it going to happen or is it not? Is that humanity anger or is that spiritual anger? He said, 90 days. You have 90 days to repent, leave this village, or your days are over on the earth. In four days, the witch doctor was at the church with his crew, saying everything they were trying wasn't working. It seems like there's a power in the message that you said that cut off everything from our reach. Everybody that comes disappointed in us now. This witch doctor is one of the church plants <laughs> in a village across. And so the, why am I sharing these stories with you? Isaac preference in the gospel is the power, and Paul is talking about this, that I'm not talking about just, just power, but transformative power. Paul used to be a person who went after Christians and killed people, was a trained Pharisee, was everything that he possessed, he knew he had a sudden understanding. But the day he met God, his internal self just all of a sudden flipped over. And now he's going after preaching the same message to this to the people he used to go arrest. Let me ask you this question again. What changed about you when you encountered the gospel? What changed about your environment? Because this is a love encounter. This is a moment where someone's like, you know what? If it's going to cost me my life, it better be transformative in their life. If it's going to cost me my blood, it's going to be transformative for their life. If it's going to cost me dying on the cross, I'm willing to do it so that you and I can encounter God. I'll repeat this again. God wanted to reveal himself to the world, and he chose you and I to do it so we could reveal him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 2, it says, but even after we had suffered before and were, and were spitefully treated at, at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel, underline that word, the gospel, in much conflict. Do you realize that what I'm talking about here can stand anything that's coming against you in your life? Most of the apostles that are writing to us in these epistles are not sitting at a penthouse. They're not sitting at the beach. They're not sitting at a hotel room and the Holy Spirit just fills them up and they start writing. They're sitting in uncomfortable places. They're sitting in positions that if, if they announced that they were in town, that would be their last time alive. So they either had to be gripped by fear or gripped by the confidence that's in the gospel. That if my life ended today, the gospel would still be carried on because what God put on my heart is out of my mouth. You know, one of the most interesting things that I really love about what we study in school is there's nothing we study that just came out. Most of what they teach us is from dead people. 
Name a theory. Somebody dead. Put it in motion. And we believe that so much that our whole psychology of life on the laws of physics by Newton, he's dead. But everything he spoke and did, we operate on. How much more should we operate on the one who is still alive and lives and yet left his gospel to be functioning in the earth? Did you catch what I said? Most of your financial ideas are from dead people. Your nursing degree, whoever discovered it, is dead. Your business degree, whoever discovered most of the principles you have in there is dead. Whoever discovered socialism is dead. Marxism, dead. Democracy, dead. But we have a world today that will stand on platforms and debate democracy all day long. And yet, we have a church that has the word of God and a God who lives and we're staying quiet. Yeah, this is where I was jumping, at least for me. (laughs) I don't know for you. (laughs) But maybe I'm stirring something up within your spirit now. That you have information from God's mouth and he still lives. You have defense of his blood and yet he still lives. He's sitting on the right hand side of the Father declaring, praying for you, ever living intercessor. Did you realize that there was prayer going on in the spirit world 24-7? You have the spirit Constantly making groanings you can't even utter. So let me ask you this. If prayer is that important in the spirit realm, how much more important is it today? Maybe for as long as you have thought that God, that God wants me to pray because I have needs, let me flip that for you. What if all he wants you to do is to have time with him? Because the Bible says he knows your needs before you even speak them. That's how much he loves you. What if your prayer transformed everything within you and you said, when when I'm going to go to meet with God, I have a time set. I had a friend who said, David, how do I pray an hour long? I don't have that many words. I said, how about the guy who spoke all of these words? What has he got to say to you? I said, if you can sit down and stay calm for an hour, try this. For every hour, at the top of the hour, take 10 minutes and just say, Lord, reveal yourself to me. And then he was like, huh, am I still making an hour and 20 minutes? I said, (laughs) eight hours in a day, is that all you want to go? What if you went 24 hours? But if at midnight, at noontime, in the evening, in the morning, at whatever hour it was, you're like, Lord, every 10 minutes at the bottom of the hour, Lord, reveal yourself to me. That's 240 minutes. How many hours is that? And if that's where you start and God begins to reveal himself to you, you see 10 minutes won't be enough. 
Because his love for you wants to surpass all of that. I'll finish with this. When your faith has been established in Christ, it's indestructible. It's immovable. Because now the gospel has become who you are. It's not just something you speak. When people see you, they see the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 2 to 3, it says, I sent you Timothy, our brother and minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for, your, for you yourselves know that we were appointed to it. The ministry of the gospel comes about when the consciousness of Christ is formed on the inside of us. When we start to think God thoughts, even when we're in the middle of the fire, it begins to change things immediately. There was an entire generation before Mary that got the word about Christ. There were prophets before Mary that carried the gospel of Christ. The same mission was carried with Moses. I'm going to rescue, I'm going to deliver my people. So let me ask you this, who carried it the shortest? It was Mary. For Mary, it was just nine months. But for every other prophet before that, it was 14 generation after 14th generation, if you read in Matthew, generations. But its impact was still the same then as it is today now. Now we have more revelation of who Christ is. If you don't mind, get up on your feet. I want to invite you into a time of just doing an internal Just look deep within yourself. Are there things I've allowed to to block the gospel from being revealed on the inside of me? Is Is it doubt? Is it unbelief? Is it that what I'm going through seems to be too impossible for the love of God to penetrate? Is it that what I know is in too deep within my own veins? I'm here to tell you that his love wants to rescue you. The responsibility of his gospel is wired in the gospel itself. And when you feed on the gospel, when you eat the gospel, when you fellowship with him through the gospel, he frees you. If you don't mind to close your eyes. And say, Father, I receive you. There's one thing I desire. is the hunger for more fellowship with you. That you may be formed in me as I'm transformed by you. Now just take a moment and receive it. The gospel is a fire. If I were you, I'd begin 
thanking God right away. Lord, I thank you because I've caught it, that I've received it, this gospel truth, this life-giving truth. May it be a light in my, in my body and a light in, in my nation, a light in my family, a light in the places of work, a light in my children, a light in where my children go, a light in many generations to come, a light, Lord, through suffering, through pain, through anything that the world rises up. Lord, I thank you that we will stand. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing this. I thank you, Father. I thank you that it is done. In the mighty name of the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. If you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus, you're here, you feel like, David, maybe I've had those things, but I want to receive the Jesus you're talking about into my life. This is a bold thing for you to do. Would you raise your hand up? I see two hands. Thank you. Three hands. Would you pray this prayer with me? Just help everybody to lift their hands up. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your death on the cross. I thank you that you died for my sins. I thank you that you rose again. That I don't have to leave in my sin. That you have filled me with your Holy Spirit. I'm never going to be the same again. The old is gone, and now I've been made new. I am a child of God. I've been set up in Christ, and I'm Christ's beloved. Amen. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.